So in this week's parsha, the Torah tells us that you shall keep the mitzvahs and you shall live by the commandments. Our sages say this teaches us that one is supposed to live by the commandments and not die in order to fulfill the commandments. And we learn from here that one should transgress a commandment in order to save a life. We're told further that even when there's no commandments involved, we must always take precautions to protect our lives. Later in Deuteronomy, the Torah tells us, You must guard your lives. Be very careful about your life. You must guard your life. That means that we have to take steps to protect ourselves from harm and keep ourselves healthy. In fact, um, Jewish law tells us that a person does not have control over their own body. We don't have the right to harm ourselves. We believe our bodies are on loan to us from God. So we don't have the right to, a person doesn't have a right to take their own life or even to harm themselves in any way. And they have a responsibility to return the body as best as they can back to God the way they got it. So we must take steps to ensure that we are healthy and keep ourselves from harm. It also means, because of the mitzvah of protecting our lives, it also means that we're not allowed to take safety risks, do anything that will put ourselves in danger. In Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, it has this a whole chapter discussing various things that might put yourself in danger going on a rickety bridge that doesn't look safe, going into a condemned building that is not considered safe. Those things are forbidden because you are placing yourself in danger. It's forbidden for a person to ever place themselves in danger. This is not only true for ourselves, but it's true for others as well. In other words, protecting others from danger. The Torah tells us, do not stand by your fellow's blood. It's in, also in, in this week's parsha, the second portion for this week. Um, you're not allowed to stand by your fellow's blood. If you see somebody in danger, you must take every step to save them. You cannot pull out your camera and take a video, which is what people tend to do today. Um, you cannot stand by or walk away, you see someone in danger, you must jump up and save them. You must take steps to try to save them. You also, by extension, cannot do anything that will put anyone else in danger. The Torah further commands us to take steps to remove any hazards. We're not allowed to have any hazards in our home. If you have a flat roof and you use the roof, the Torah commands us, it's a mitzvah, to put a fence around our roof. But we learn from this that it's a mitzvah in general to ensure that we that there are no hazards, to ensure that we ourselves, as well as others, are always safe. So we must be careful to keep ourselves healthy and safe, avoid taking risks, putting our lives in danger in any way. We must also um, be careful to keep ourselves healthy, keep ourselves from harm, and we must also protect others from harm keep others safe, and help others who are in danger. 
So this goes so far, as we mentioned earlier, that we have to, though we have to do everything we can to perform a mitzvah, the Torah tells us we should transgress a mitzvah to save a life. If a life is in danger, we have to be prepared to transgress a mitzvah to save a life. And this is true when somebody is in, is in danger, and the only way to save their life is by transgressing a mitzvah. So the classic example is on Shabbat, where one is forbidden to um, do surgeries or do medical procedures. Oh, one is forbidden to cut, um, a, to cut um, and, uh, a person or wound a person on Shabbat. It is also forbidden to use um, fire on Shabbat. And yet, and for that reason, we don't drive. Um, we also don't use electricity on Shabbat. However, if someone's life is in danger, we'd be able to do all the above in order to save a life. In fact, my son, um, my son who was born back in December, um, my wife went into labor on Shabbat. And so we called a um, Uber and we went to the hospital um, on Shabbat. We uh, went in the Uber and went, drove to the hospital. We had to do all sorts of things on Shabbat in order to ensure that the baby was born safely and the mother was safe, um, all because a life was in danger. So we are, so if a life is in danger, we can des desecrate the Shabbat. My oldest daughter was actually born on Yom Kippur. We did on Yom Kippur too. And um, we can eat non-kosher food if necessary to save a life or do anything else that it, almost anything else that it takes to save a life. This is also true if someone is threatened by another person. Somebody says, transgress a particular commandment or I will kill you. We must transgress the commandment in order to save our lives. And this is true for our own lives as well as for other lives. We have to be prepared to transgress Shabbat to save our own life. We also have to be prepared to transgress Shabbat or any other mitzvah in order to save another life, in order to save other people's lives. But this is only true if a life is in danger. Not if there's going to be financial loss. Even if it's huge financial loss, you're going to lose your job. Too bad. When my grandmother grew up in the 1930s, 1920s, 1930s, early 1930s during um, here in, in the United States. And there was a six-day work week before the, we got the five-day work week. Um, it was very hard for Jews to have jobs and keep Shabbos. And many sacrificed, even though they lived in great poverty, because they didn't desecrate the Shabbos, even though it meant losing their jobs. So we have to be prepared to take great... Um, loss, and uh, even if it's very difficult, or be extremely uncomfortable not to desecrate the Shabbos. A person is driving, and they get stuck, um, and Shabbat enters, they got stuck in traffic. They got to spend Shabbat wherever they are. Unless, unless a life is in danger, they should spend Shabbat wherever they are, even though it may be very, I know people it's happened to, um, even though they may be very uncomfortable or get out of the car and walk, um, it may be very uncomfortable or very inconvenient, but we do we we're prepared to suffer financial loss or inconvenience in order to do a mitzvah, in order to follow God's commandments. But when a life is in danger, we will desecrate or break any commandment in order to almost any commandment in order to save a life. There are some exceptions to this rule, though. 
we are prepared to die in order to avoid three cardinal sins. There are three cardinal sins in Judaism. One should be prepared to die rather than transgress. And they are either worshiping idols or leaving their Jewish faith. And this is something that our ancestors, I think every Jew alive, has ancestors, grandparents who did this when we lived in um, anti-Semitic lands in Europe or in the Middle East. Very often, our ancestors were told that they must convert to Christianity or Islam um, on the pain of death. If they don't convert, they will be killed. And Jews throughout the generations always chose to die rather than convert out of Judaism. So that is something we must be prepared to give our lives for. If someone threatens us, leave Judaism or you will be killed. We have to be prepared to be killed for that. Thank God we don't generally have that problem anymore today, but we did. For that matter, if somehow, I'm not sure how this would be realistic, but if somehow the only way to save someone's life who was in danger would be through idol worship, um, you would not be able to do so. You would not be able to, to, do, to leave Judaism in order to save a life. The second cardinal sin that we have to be prepared to give up our lives for is sexual transgressions. If somebody threatens us, I will kill you unless you have relations with me or with someone which is forbidden. One has to be prepared to give up their life, not to do so. Cheryl, for pork, it would be, um, Cheryl's asking, what about pork is just a regular mitzvah? So if someone says, eat pork or you will die. Or for that matter, if you're starving and the only food available is pork, you should absolutely eat pork. It's not one of the cardinal sins. But the cardinal sins, as we said, are idol worship, sexual transgressions. And the third one is killing somebody. We have to be prepared to die rather than kill someone else. So if someone says, kill that other person, or I will kill you, cannot do so. Or if the only way to save your life is by killing somebody else, you cannot do so. You cannot save your life by killing another person. There's the famous trolley dilemma where you have a trolley racing down a track. And it's, there's five people on the track. It's going to hit those five people. You cannot stop the trolley. And you cannot warn those people on time. But you can press a lever that will send the trolley down a different track. And that other track has only one person. What do you do? Do you leave it and let it kill five people? Or do you press the lever and let it kill one person? So most people, um, there's been a lot of testing on this. Um, and most people feel that you should kill the one person rather than kill the five. Torah says you can't do that. You cannot kill one person to save others. Got to sit back and do nothing. You cannot kill one person to save others. Interestingly, when they ask, when they word that same thing differently, um, they've found when they say there's a train racing down the track and about to hit a whole crowd of people. And there's one person standing on the platform. If you push them in front of the train, it will stop the train. Can you do so? That most people agree that you can't. For some reason, it feels different. 
even though even though philosophically it's very hard to see any difference. But that people feel is, and of course, again, Judaism would say it's not okay to kill someone in order to save other people. Now, Cheryl's asked a very great question. Um, can you kill in self-defense? And the answer is yes. If someone is threatening another person, you can kill them. The Torah says so clearly, that's called a rodate. A rodate is a person threatening another person. If someone's threatening another person, you can kill. Why? The moment you threaten another person, your life is no longer of value. At that moment, while, you, while you're a threat to another person. So we cannot kill one person to save another if that other person is not a threat to anyone. But if that person is a threat to others, then yes, you can kill them. You can kill them in order to save somebody else. Um, Rabbi, what about an unborn baby in the womb and a mother? Um, what was the thing? Oh, that's yeah. Excellent question. Um, that's a very good question. And I know it's a hot, the hotly debated topic. Can you abort a child right before birth in order to save the mother's life? Um, I should note that um, it is theoretically possible, but very, very, very rare. Um, such a scenario. There are medical situations where such a scenario even today could be possible. Um, that wasn't actually but, my question. My question was, it's a different question. Can you abort a early term fetus to save another child using, um, because they have the right um, genetic match for curing cancer, which was, this was done like in 1990. Can you abort a child? That's an excellent question. Uh, let me first touch on the first question that I thought you asked, which is, can you abort a child? The answer is that a child is not a human, uh, uh, a fetus before they're born. They're only a human when they're born. And therefore you can kill a fetus to, to save the mother. Mm -hmm. um, now that's when, the, that's when uh, the mother's life is in danger. Um, can you kill a fetus, which is a potential life? In other words, will be a life um, in order to save Another child, Another child um, because they have some sort of medical. I don't have an easy answer for that. Um, and I'm not sure offhand the answer, but you've given me some homework. I'll have to. Okay. Rabbi? Yes. In a related question, how do we reconcile war? That's an excellent question. Um, the Torah allows for war in certain scenarios, generally in defense, um, in self-defense. Um, it falls into the self, simply falls into the self-defense category. And while in war, any enemy soldier is considered a threat. So, so you're allowed to uh, say you're going to save your community and go to war because it's a threat. Absolutely. Theoretically. And if I may, I go back to one other thing. You talked about uh, the sanctity of the body that God gives you the body and we're supposed to give it back as close as possible. I presume that that goes hand in hand with a prohibition against tattooing your body or painting it. Maybe that's at a different part in the Torah. And then it, it leaves an different... open question about um, putting holes in your body, uh, ear for earrings or, or other types of penetration. It is, tattooing is a separate prohibition not clearly connected to the prohibition of 
mutilating your body. Uh, one's clearly forbidden to mutilate your body. Um, there's no prohibition to put, and Jews have done so forever, to put holes in your body for um, beauty purposes. Um, so there's no prohibition to do so, for, such as earrings, um, piercing ears, um, so long as you're not causing mutilation. In other words, you're not causing serious harm to your body. Um, you're just cutting yourself would be forbidden. Um, but if it's something that's you know, not going to cause any harm, um, it's just a hole and it's for uh, fashion, um, that's definitely permitted and it has been done throughout all of Jewish history. Um, there's no explicit prohibition. Tattooing is a separate prohibition that the Torah forbids. And where in the Torah does it do that? Do you recall? Um, I believe it's in this week's Parsha, if I'm not mistaken. Thank you, Rabbi. Um, so, <laughs> so in those three cardinal sins, we are required to be prepared to die rather than transgress idol worship or rejecting Judaism, sexual transgressions and killing another person. Other than that, there's one other exception or little other exceptions when in a time when people are trying to force you to give up your Judaism. So they don't tell you to worship idols, but they're outlawing Judaism. And then any commandment that you do, you'd be putting your life in danger. Even so, we don't want people to stop us from, um, out fr from performing Judaism. But except for that period known in um, Jewish terminology as Shemad, um, we, except for that period um, and except for these car three carnal transgressions, we should be prepared to do anything except in order to save, um, in order to save a life or including transgressing all of our commandments. Again, that's only to save a life, not for other financial considerations or for convenience, or maybe if it's hard to do a mitzvah, that's not an excuse not to do it, but only if truly a life is in danger. Now, among the rules of preserving a life is a prohibition to do anything that would put ourselves in danger. Um, so we can't do any high-risk activities that will put our life in danger. There's a lot of what they call daredevils today. They do all sorts of daredevil activities, jumping out of airplanes, bungee jumping. Um, that would all be forbidden under this Jewish prohibition of taking a life. One is forbidden to do anything that would put themselves in danger, um, even if there are certain precautions being taken. One would be forbidden to do anything that is dangerous um, in order because we must never put ourselves in danger. We must protect our lives. We should also be careful when what, whatever we are doing to take safety precautions, not to put ourselves at risk. So whatever safety precautions we can take, um, we should take. For that matter, we cannot do things that are unhealthy for ourselves, putting our health in, in danger. We also should not do unnecessary risky medical procedures. Again, we're putting our lives in danger. And so, in other words, in order to be healthy, um, we have to do things that don't put ourselves in danger. Now, there are some exceptions to this. Can you ride a car? Every time you go in the car, it's dangerous. For that matter, crossing the street is dangerous. What about take, doing something even more dangerous, riding a motorcycle? You could take precautions, wearing leather, wearing a helmet, but still, riding a motorcycle is significantly more dangerous than even getting into a car. 
Is it permitted? So the general rule is that anything that is part of normal life is permitted. Life includes inherent risk. And so anything that's part of normal life is okay. In fact, Jewish law says that after we take, after we cross a sea on a boat or cross a desert, and this would have been on a camel back then, before they had cars, um, we must, in front of the Torah, make a blessing, thanking God for saving our lives. Because when you cross the sea, you're putting your life in danger. This is when seas, when boats were not as safe as they are today. When you go on a, when you cross the desert, you're putting your life in danger. Question is asked then, what right do you have to put your life in danger? We know you're never allowed to put your life in danger. And again, that's because we, we believe that you can take risks that are part of regular life. Life has inherent risk. So things that you need in order to function, that you have to go on a boat. You don't have to be the one to go on a boat, but people need to go on boats in order to allow for regular um, commerce. People need to travel deserts in order to be able to um, allow for regular commerce. So for society to function, there's certain inherent risks that need to be taken. To translate that to modern times, cars are the way we get around. Motorcycles in places like Los Angeles, so you can't get around very much in a car. You can't get very far very quickly. Um, it's a way of getting around. Or there's certain jobs that have inherent risks. People that deal with high voltage electricity, someone's going to do it. Certain jobs are going to have inherent risks, so they got to be done. Part of regular life, window cleaners, you're going to live with your windows dirty. So that's part of those things are permitted to do. There's certain regular risks that you can take as part of life. But risks that are totally unnecessary for thrill, for sport, those kind of risks are forbidden. Bungee jumping would be forbidden. I might venture to say even things like paragliding um, or parachuting, jumping out of planes. Um, unnecessary, if you do it as part of the military, it might be different. But if it's unnecessary, just doing it for sport, it's an unnecessary risk. You're signing your life away before you do it. Um, but you're taking unnecessary risks. So we are allowed to take risks part of normal life. And all life involves certain risk. Um, and it always did and always will. Um, but we have to, when we do so, take as good precautions as we realistically can. And, um, and we should not take any unnecessary risks. So we can have medical procedures if we need to, but we should not have unnecessary medical procedures. We shouldn't do things just because we can um, or things that are totally unnecessary. We shouldn't put ourselves at risk um, when it's unnecessary to do so. Now, the exact, find that exact balance could be difficult, and we'll soon talk a little bit more about that. So part of protecting ourselves, protecting our health and protecting others um, is not only for ourselves personally, not putting ourselves at risk, but also we have to protect our health, take steps to make sure we are healthy. Uh, we have to protect other people's health as well. Part of that is what we call today public health. 
In other words, there's a certain, we need to work together as a community to protect the public. And we may sometimes even need to transgress commandments for a clear public health emergency. Example in the Talmud is, if you see a burning coal on the street on Shabbat, that's a public hazard. Now, normally moving a coal on Shabbat would be forbidden. But here, you'd be allowed to move the coal because it's a public hazard. Now, there's some debate if only certain injunctions can be, um, only certain prohibitions um, can be ignored for a public hazard or all prohibitions similar to saving a life. There's debate among that, among, about that among scholars, but definitely we're allowed to, we must take steps and all steps that we can in order to protect the public, in order to avoid public hazards, to protect the community, to keep the community safe and to save lives. Any questions about the mitzvahs of keeping safe, saving lives, staying healthy. Okay, so this leads us to our last year and what's well, now a year and a month almost. So public health steps, public health steps need to be taken to protect the community against pandemics. And this is a problem that we've had in the past year, but it's really a problem that we have had throughout of all of history. Well, most of us have not lived through a pandemic like this in our lifetime. All of us have not lived, unless someone was alive in 1918. All of us have not lived through a pandemic like this in our lifetime. Um, but we know in our grandparents' generations, pandemics happened all the time. Or in every generation, there were multiple pandemics. And they needed to take public steps in order to protect against the pandemics. A year ago, when our current pandemic, COVID-19, first appeared, um, a lot of steps were taken to stop the spread. We had an almost total shutdown. Businesses, schools, communal life, almost everything was totally shut down. Only a handful of essential stores remained open. And even then, people would dash in and dash out, um, if that. We really tried to avoid um, going out at all. We had pretty close to a total lockdown. Even our beaches were closed. And this is really similar to steps that were taken throughout our history when various pandemics struck. The first step that was always taken was everyone stayed at home. They didn't go out, didn't venture out, except to buy bare necessities. They avoided venturing out in order to stop the pandemic. And this was done in all communities throughout all of history. Thank God we don't live through their pandemics. As bad as our pandemic seems, um, it was nowhere near as bad as Black Death, which killed one in three people. Um, they had they, they used to suffer, suffer from smallpox. Um, smallpox, one in two children would die from smallpox when it hit. Um, you know, they, they had these things were really dangerous, and people would go into hiding for a month, two months, however long it took for the pandemic day. In fact, in Shulchan Aruch, it tells us that a person is required to flee or go into lockdown when a pandemic strikes. 
Uh, Rabbi Shaya Harwitz famously wrote the Shalah, that when a pandemic hits, one who doesn't go into to lockdown or one who doesn't flee um, is guilty for the harm that they cause themselves, their family, by not um, by not um, taking precautions. This is both for so a person has to take precautions for their own personal safety to protect themselves, but it's not just for themselves. It's for public safety to keep the pandemic from spreading. So therefore we did 13 months ago as we had done throughout all of history, when a pandemic struck, we shut down. We shut down everything. We shut down our schools, despite the huge cost. We shut down our shul. We shut down, we didn't have any services. We shut down everything. The Jewish law would have, would have and did require us to do so because we must take all steps we can to avoid harm to ourselves and avoid harm to others, including not praying in a shul, although one normally should. Uh, we did not do so in order to avoid um, in order in order to avoid the risk. And like as we said earlier, we must take any steps necessary in order to save lives. But then as time passed, we discovered a few things about this pandemic. Firstly, we learned a little bit about how it works, who's most at risk. We learned over time ways we can mitigate transmission, wearing masks, took a while to figure that out for some reason, um, social distancing, um, other ways, staying outdoors, other things we can do to avoid transmission. Um, we learned also, um, uh, we learned that uh, it's not going away after two, three months as other pandemics did, but this thing looks like it's here to stay for a while. And so what we've been able to do is we've been able to slowly open things while taking precautions. So if we can open things, we should safely, we should do so. And so what we've been doing since last summer, essentially, is we've been trying to make balancing decisions. We know we can safely open a little bit with taking precautions since we now have a better understanding of how the pandemic works, of how the disease works, how it spreads, um, who's most at risk. So we can open a little um, for those that are less at risk, taking precautions like wearing masks, keeping, keeping socially distanced, getting outside. We can open. And we can, the more we open, of course, the greater the risk. So what we can do is we can op only allow some things to open or open a little bit. So what we need to do essentially is make these balancing decisions now. What should we open? What should we not open? How should we open? These balancing decisions have been up to public officials, mostly businesses, communal leaders, and really individuals. Everybody has to decide what risks should we take? What risks should we not take? What risks are worth taking? After all, we also realized that um, first thing you have to live, can't stop living, um, especially if this is here for the long term. Certain risks are inherent in life. We have to take certain risks. We've also realized that not that staying in a lockdown for a very long time causes harm as well, causes harm emotionally, causes harm socially, particularly to the elderly, to children. 
Not being in school causes harm. Not being able to work causes harm. Can't afford food, can't afford to pay rent, also causes huge harm. So we need a balance. So these balancing decisions have been very challenging. And over the past year, different public officials, different businesses, different individuals, communities have made very different decisions. And in hindsight, it's hard to know who made the right decision or what the right decision is. Um, I don't have clear answers. And I don't think anybody does have clear answers. And anybody who claims that they do have clear answers are almost certainly lying or fooling themselves, fooling themselves to believe that they do. Nobody does have clear answers because we still don't fully understand the pandemic. And uh, we definitely don't understand. It's impossible to know all, all the risks and all the needs to be able to truly balance something. So we're all balancing as best as we can and kind of moving back and forth and trying various things. But there are, while we don't have answers, there's a few important perspectives that we need to take into consideration or a few important points that need to be taken into consideration. Firstly, as we mentioned earlier, we need to recognize that saving a life is more important than anything else. We must do everything we can to save lives, including transgressing our commandments, most of our commandments. We must do whatever we can to save lives. Now, defining what it will take to save lives can be very difficult. Defining what level risk we're prepared to take is also very difficult. We also recognize, on the other hand, that life is full of risk, as we mentioned earlier. And in, in halacha, in Jewish law, risks that are part of the regular function of life or part of necessary function of life, we're prepared to take much greater risk than we would for things that are totally unnecessary. We would first open our schools before we'd open our amusement parks. So maybe necessary for some people's financial stability. Um, the children probably could survive without the amusement parks. Now the schools is going to be a lot harder. So we have to take that. We have to be prepared to recognize the difference between necessary things, things that are part of the regular function of life, things that we need perhaps in order to thrive, some level social interaction, um, being able to be there for people in need, children being able to go to school, um, factories being able to produce things that so we don't run out of things, stores being able to open for people to be able to get what they need. So certain things that are part of functioning of life and things that are perhaps unnecessary, things that maybe we don't need as much. So we need to, we need to be able to differentiate between those things. Um, people need to work, people need to be able to live, children need to be in school. We also, at the same time, while we're, we need to be prepared to take risks, we also have to try to mitigate those risks as much as we can. You can drive in a car despite the danger, but wear a seatbelt and drive safely. So while, yes, we may need a we, we, should, we need to send kids back to school, but we need to mitigate the risks in school. We need to make sure that they're, that they're studying in a way that won't increase the danger. 
whether it's through testing, whether it's through wearing masks, whether it's through social distancing, figure out ways we can mitigate the risks. Um, it, and definitely we should try to avoid unnecessary risks, risks that are perhaps not necessary, that we don't really need, that we could get along just fine without. We mentioned earlier that we are prepared to transgress any mitzvah in order to save a life. During the pandemic, we closed the shuls, we closed the schools. Going to shul is dangerous, don't go to shul. But it's important to remember that when we're beginning to do things that are necessary, part of regular function of life or important, shul should definitely be at the top of the list of things that are important. Earlier, as we began to open up, um, politicians in some states, including our own, felt that religious services were less important than other activities. Um, it was only more recently, a couple months later, that the Supreme Court ruled that religious services should be considered the most important thing when, um, when deciding what to allow to open and what not to allow to open. Religious services should be on the top of the list as who are politicians to decide how important religion is. And uh, definitely from a Jewish perspective, um, from our halachic perspective, once we feel safe to go to other places, we should be going to shul as well. If we're now in shul, we should take, mitigate the risks as well if we can do it outside. Um, put on masks, be socially distanced. We could mitigate risks in shul as well. But at the same time, we should, we, if we need to close the shuls, we should. If somebody's high risk, they should not go to shul. But once we feel safe to go to other places, we should definitely be going to shul. A great example, in Israel, the government wanted to have a, has a um, great vaccination campaign. They vaccinated more people in their country than any other country in the world. And when they began their vaccination campaign, they wanted to vaccinate on Shabbos. They said it's a matter of saving lives. More people vaccinated, the, less pe the faster we get people vaccinated, the less people die. It's a matter of saving lives. We should be able to vaccinate on Shabbos. But the chief rabbis of Israel said, okay, you can vaccinate on Shabbos, but only on condition that your vaccination clinics are already open 24 hours a day. Or at least nurses can't work 24 hours straight, but at least they should be working very long hours, 16 hours a day. Before you desecrate the Shabbos, if you need to, if it's going to save lives to desecrate the Shabbos, you definitely should. But before you desecrate the Shabbos, you have to first get rid of other conveniences, other matters of comfort. So yes, you can vaccinate on Shabbos if you are vaccinating at every other time that you have that's not Shabbos. But if you're only open nine to five, and then you want to open nine to five on Shabbos as well, but just open, you need more hours, open two more hours every day. You open longer hours. You can't just open on Shabbos for convenience. You could do so when a life is truly in danger. And so that should be our guiding light and we don't have an easy answer to these questions. That should be our guiding light. When we feel safe to do so, we should definitely get back to um, Shul when it's safe to do so. Uh, once we're going back elsewhere, shul is important. 
Same as with our classes, in-person classes, which we were discussing earlier. Should we be moving our classes to in-person? I believe we should as soon as we can. Um, we're, thank God, been able to do classes on Zoom and Facebook throughout this these past 13 months. But I don't believe that as a teacher, I'm able to teach in the same way as I do in person. Um, and as much as I try, it's not the same. And so um, as people are vaccinated, I, we are working to start things in person, uh, trying to mitigate again as much as we can, trying to balance it, trying to keep it as safe as we can, not to add unnecessary risk. And therefore we may take, and I've, we've chosen here to take precautions beyond what the state is requiring us to do um, because um, we believe in avoiding unnecessary risk. Um, now, exactly what precautions we should and should not take are not always, the balancing is not always clear, but at least we have the guidelines that we do want to get back to in-person classes as soon as we feel it's safe to do so, and God willing, we will very soon. Now, one final issue that has, that needs, that I would be amiss not to address would be taking the vaccine itself. We did a class before the vaccine was available this is right at the beginning of the pandemic, about a year ago, we did a class on vaccines, you may recall, um, on the Jewish perspective of vaccines. It's on the um, podcast, um, you can find it there. But, and then we mentioned that when vaccines first came out and they first came out for smallpox um, about 150 years ago, um, Jewish scholars raised the question, should a person be taking vaccines? And then the vaccines were a lot less safe than they are today. And the answer was, well, we're not supposed to do things that are risky, but we should take risk in order to mitigate greater risk. We should take small risk in order to mitigate much, much greater risk. At the time, smallpox vaccine did involve small risk because risk of infection. They weren't very good at um, they weren't very good at um, avoiding infection back then. Um, they didn't even understand how it worked. And this back in the 1850s when the smallpox vaccines first appeared. Um, and, but they did know that smallpox was very, very, very dangerous and killed a lot of children. And so they did, scholars, Jewish scholars said, well, you got to take a small risk in order to mitigate a much greater risk. Later, much, much later in the 1950s, the polio vaccine came out, was the same issue. Children were dying from polio or being um, paralyzed for life from polio. And um, there was some risk then, inherent risk in the polio vaccine. It was more risky than vaccines today, but it was a very minor risk compared to the much greater risk. And the same has been true for vaccines. There's no question um, that every vaccine out there on the market today approved by our FDA, which um, our government, though they may have shortcomings, um, our regulators and may not be perfect, nothing is perfect, um, are fairly good, we're very good, we're very lucky to live in this country and not in other countries that don't have good regulators. Um, and so we can say with certainty that our vaccines are very, very safe today. They've become extremely safe. Um, people being harmed by vaccines is extremely, wouldn't say it never happens, but it's extremely, extremely rare. And the truth is that for all vaccines, available today, including the flu vaccine or the vaccines we offer, we give children, um, all of them today are much, much, much safer than, um, are much, much safer than the risk of not taking the vaccine at all and getting the disease. And there's no question the same would be true today for our, um, our COVID-19 vaccines. 
Um, there's no question, despite some discomfort that many people have feel felt after they got the vaccine and um, some um, uh, maybe some side effects, but there's no question that the risks are, if any, minimum, very, very tiny, but the risk of not taking it is pretty high. You know, the death rate is about 1% from COVID, um, which is too high, and especially for older people, it's even higher. And so there's no question that Jewish law would require us to take the vaccine. Um, and we should take the vaccine. And if anybody's unsure, I would definitely encourage you to do so. Unfortunately, as always, there are many rumors out there um, about the dangers of um, the vaccine, you know, people suggesting various dangers. Uh, those rumors are exactly that. People make unsubstantiated claims. Um, in Jewish teachings, we never back or we never are concerned about unsubstantiated claims. If there's no basis for the claim, there's nothing to back it up with, but there's no reason to pay even pay attention to. So we definitely should take the vaccine. There's no question from a halachic Jewish legal perspective, we should take the vaccine. And that will allow us not only save us from getting infected, um, which everyone is at a certain level of risk, no matter what they're doing, it also will allow, allow us to sooner get back to regular life, get back to classes in person, get back to shul, um, get back to um, regular things. So to, to summarize, we have to be prepared to do almost anything to save lives. However, we need to know at the same time that what we are doing is truly life-saving. And <laughs> we, well, on the one hand, and the, truth, the Torah tells us the reason why we do anything to transgress a mitzvah to save a life is in order for us to be able to do more mitzvahs. Torah says, transgress, the Talmud says, transgress the Shabbos in order to save a life so that they can keep more Shabbos. You transgress the Shabbos to save a life, they'll keep next week's Shabbos. They'll keep another week. We transgress mitzvahs to save lives in order to be able to do more mitzvahs. So we don't have in-person classes, and we've done that for our own safety and for the safety of the community, but in order that when this is over very soon, and when we're able to, we should be able to have in-person classes. And we don't, um, we closed our shul in order that when this is over, we should, everyone should be able to come to shul. And so it's important as we get to the end of the, and hopefully we see the light at the end of the tunnel already of our current pandemic. Um, and as we get to slowly begin to reopen, and hopefully we will over the next couple months, everything, um, remember that we closed in order to be able to then reopen and then be able to go to shul and go to classes and keep mitzvahs. That's why we wanted to save our lives, for the opportunity to keep further mitzvahs. So we should take advantage of that. And now as we begin to reopen, definitely um, take more extra steps beyond what we started with. Um, go to show more, go to classes more, do more mitzvahs, volunteer more, help out more, do more than we started in order that make those, that shutdown worthwhile that it pays off as a result we're doing even more than we had when we started.